Our scripture today comes from Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and will worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire, the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will, I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and they went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. When I was in uh, college my freshman year, I've shared this before, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so to cover my bases, I took freshman biology, pre-med biology, no less, Very, very hard class. Dr. Dobbs was our professor. He would walk into class each time, and as he did, he um, never used a note. He simply stood there and lectured for 50 straight minutes, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 a.m., while he chewed on a cigar. Chewed on a cigar the whole time, lectured for 50 straight minutes, all of it tucked away up in his brain. It was his final exam in lab that was daunting. Uh, The lab final exam went like this. 
We uh, showed up in class, and all semester long, we had been dissecting these little tiny fetal pigs. We had cut them open. We had figured out what all their parts were. And so these pigs, uh, immersed in the wonderful smell in formaldehyde, were, uh, were spread out over this large room that uh, was comprised of lab tables. And in each pig, there were pins in the different organs of the pig, and they had numbers. And it was our job to write down what that number represented, what part. And the way it worked is we went in and we went to our spot where we began the test. And so we stood, we got a blank sheet of paper. It had the list, uh, just the numbers of uh, over a hundred parts of this pig we needed to know. And we got in our spot and when we did, we just began to write. And when he thought it was enough time, he stood in the front of the room and said, Next. And we moved to the next pig. We wrote, and he said, next. And we moved to the next pig with whatever it had labeled. There was no, I didn't get that. There was none of that. You moved when Dr. Dobbs said next. For over an hour, you never sat down. You walked from one little pig to the other, writing down what you thought was on that little pig labeled, right? There's an interesting thing about such a test. You dread it fiercely if you're a student. You despise the thought of taking such a test, but once you've taken it, it gives you bragging rights. You survived Dr. Dobbs' pre-med biology lab test. It's like you entered a club, right? And you are one of the guys or gals who made it through. Dr. Dobbs' tests are one thing. God's tests are completely another thing. And it is here this morning that we encounter God testing one of his children. God's test, uh, he tests us by adversity in order to prove our faith. Uh, there are three or four reasons that uh, if you look through Scripture and you look at the test here of Abraham and the test of Job and the way God tests people, you'll discover why God gives tests. They reveal our obedience. God will test you to reveal your obedience. He will test you to produce fear in you of him awe, we might say, so that you see how great and holy he is. He tests us and it helps us to discover our authenticity. You might say that an untested faith uh, isn't any faith at all. That if your faith is never tested, how will you ever know if you possess it? So it helps us to discover our authenticity. And finally, it's good for us. It produces well-being. God tests us to uh, give us spiritual muscles. So then there comes the question, how do you know you passed God's test? 
How do you know that you've passed God's test? Two answers, one word, uh, or two words, one answer. Total trust. Total trust. The only way, hear me, the only way to pass God's test is to put total trust in Him. Not partial. Not maybe I trust Him. Not God and. It is all your eggs in His proverbial basket. So this morning we'll talk about what total trust looks like Number one, total trust gives up your one and only. Total trust gives up your one and only. Look at the test, verse 2. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, this is a hefty test. Abraham is around 115 years old. His wife, Sarah, would be around 105. God had promised them that through uh, the birth of a boy, he would make them into a great nation. And now God says to Abraham, take the boy through whom I promise to bless you and go and offer him up as a sacrifice. Uh, Isaac is Abraham's one and only hope, or one would think, for God to carry out this promise to multiply Abraham's offspring so that Abraham will become a great nation. What's important to remember is that Abraham, this wasn't his first rodeo. Uh, this is not the first time he's been tested. If we go back to Genesis 12, we see uh, another test that God gave Abraham. You see, in Genesis 12, Abraham is living in Mesopotamia, there between the Tigris and the Euphrates River, where the grass grows green and the crops grow great, and he's there with his family. And God shows up in Genesis 12, and he gives him a test. Notice the comparison. Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, go by yourself to the land I will show you. You're not going to know it until you get there. Look at Genesis 22. This test, go by yourself to the land of Moriah. Look at the test in chapter 12. Leave your country, your people, and your father's house. A trifecta. Your country, your people, and your father's house. Look at this test. Your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Another trifecta. It's an amazing test. Look in Genesis 12, the land is unknown. Look in Genesis 22, the mountain is unknown. Look in Genesis 12, so Abraham left. Look at Genesis 22, verse 3, so Abraham got up. Abraham had been tested before. Now please hear me. I'm convinced if Genesis 22 had been Abraham's first test, he would have failed. 
Because Genesis 22 is way too hard of a test to come the first week of class. Way too hard. It's the test in 12 that prepares him for 22. Please hear me. And I know, I said this in the early service, this is not This statement does not uh, serve to attract loads of people to the Christian faith. But if you are going to follow Christ, you will be tested. You will be tested. I cannot tell you uh, the color of the test or, or how it's going to look, but I will just say to you, you will be tested. I, I have no idea why I... Uh, after giving my life to Christ at the age of 15, within a month of trusting Christ as my Savior, this darkness came over me and this doubt consumed me so much so that I woke up every day doubting my faith, thinking that I was dying and going to hell. I entered high school doubt-ridden, That summer that I struggled so much, my parents had no idea what to do. It never occurred to them, maybe he could use some counseling. I lost so much weight by the end of that summer. I was emaciated, but I lived in constant fear that I would die and that I would go to hell. I, who had just trusted Christ a month earlier, And I cannot in any way describe to you in any human terms how it ended. It was miraculous. It was not natural. You say, what do you mean? The little church I attended, it was a Sunday night that fall that I stood up on the front seat of that uh, church the Holy Spirit did it. Like I, I didn't go there planning to do this that night. But as I sat there, moved by the Spirit, I remember standing to my feet in that little service. And I remember saying these words. I just want to say tonight that I am glad I am a Christian. And when I did, the doubt left. Just like that. Never to return in that way. I do not understand except to know that God is gracious. He is the test giver. I don't get to choose the test that he sends my way. And he had chosen to test me in that way. So what does Abraham do? Well, in Genesis 12, God called Abraham to sacrifice the security of the present. In Genesis 22, God called Abraham to sacrifice the security of the future. In Genesis Genesis 12, leave the present. In Genesis 22, give up your future, Abraham. Notice the emotion, your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, says this. I've got the book here in front of me. This was the ultimate test. Isaac was now everything to Abraham, as God's call makes clear. He does not refer to the boy as Isaac. God doesn't. But as your son, your only son, whom you love. Here it is. Abraham's affection had become adoration. 
previously, Abraham's meaning in life had been dependent on God's word. Now it was becoming dependent on Isaac's love and well-being. This is a series on parenting, so let me, let me address parents for a moment. Is it possible for us to worship our children? Yes. Yes. It is possible for the love that you feel for your child to move from love to adoration, to worship. You say, Jerry, how would I know? Here it is. If, the rep, if your own reputation lies on the success of your children, if when they're up, you're up, and when they're down, you're down, you may be worshiping your kids. If their academic success is absolutely necessary or their athletic success or their moral success, uh, fill in the blank, is absolutely necessary to your happiness, they have become an object of worship to you. It is entirely possible, as Abraham demonstrates, he appears to have been loving Isaac too much and God too little. Total trust gives up your one and only. Total trust obeys immediately. Look at this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. I love his response. Look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. The very next morning, he rose early, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. Total trust obeys immediately. I want to ask you a question. What area of your life does God want you to obey? In what area of your life does God want you to obey? What would it look like for you to obey God this week, this week, and that? What would you have to do to obey God right now, this week? When Hannah was young and Trent was young, I don't know. I think this is a dad thing. And I think the dads and the moms agreed in the early. So what do we do? Moms carry their kids kind of in their arms. For some reason, dads find it necessary to take kids and throw them in the air. Right? I don't know why. I don't know why. I take Trent and I take him and just go, whoo, and hoist him up in the air. And Wendy's like, <gasps> right? Or put your kids, what do you do? You put them, dads, somewhere, and you're like, jump! And what do your kids do? They do it. Like, they just jump right in your arms like you could catch an elephant, you know? They, that's total trust. Total trust jumps as soon as God says, jump. That's total trust. 
It isn't a delayed obedience. It isn't, oh, let me think about it. It isn't. When God's voice is clear, total trust obeys immediately. Total trust gives up your one and only. Total trust obeys immediately. Number three, total trust trusts God over circumstances. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Can you imagine those three days? Those three days of trekking across the desert, knowing that God has asked you to do the unthinkable and take your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him up. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. Look at this. I and the boy, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. What? I and the boy, he is saying. Well, what's up with that? Abraham is saying, uh, it's not just me coming back to these two servants, but the boy is coming back with me. He speaks with certainty. How could he do that? It was the first test, right? This wasn't his first test. Rodeo. He had been tested before. Wendy's grandmother, who lives with us, is in autumn care this week uh, in rehab for having fallen and broken her hip and she had surgery. So we've been at autumn care a lot. Some of you work there and uh, we've seen you and I admire you for what you do. You can make a movie in those places, no doubt. Like, it's unreal. Those of you who work there are smiling at me right now. It's unbelievable. Um, It was on Friday that I picked Trent up from school, and uh, Sarah Sayaka called and said, would you grab Noah? So I have Noah with me, and I said, Noah, we're going to see Gogo. So this is a field trip to autumn care. Brace yourself. Strap in. So we go to Autumn Care, we go in, we visit Gogo, we're there for a good while, we get ready to leave and we're walking out. And as we are, there's a lady sitting in the middle section and she's out in her wheelchair, just out in the hallway. And she looks at Trent and she says, why don't you grab me by the arm and take me out of here? And so Trent just kind of turns around and I turn and we're all smiling and I just say to her, where would you like us to take you? As we are walking, we never stopped. And evidently she found that quite offensive because then she retorted to us, if I had a gun, I'd shoot you ones for treating me like this. And when she said that, Trent bent double. He was laughing. I'm like, son, get out of here. She's so mad. Like, she does not need to see us laughing over the idea that she's going to shoot us. Get out of here. Yesterday, Wendy and I spent about six hours there. And so it was during some of that time that I was sitting out in a room and, uh, not in Gogo's room, and I'm sitting out in a room, and there is a husband and a wife. Uh, The wife is there, and the husband comes every day, I am told. Early in the morning, he is there. He is there 
leaves occasionally. And last night he had gone out because she had special requested some hush puppies, slaw, and baked beans to go along with her ham that they were serving from Golden Fried. So he had gone to get her extras. Everybody had eaten. It was time to bed down, and he was getting ready to leave. Now, honestly, they normally bicker, and it could be entertaining. But this wasn't the time for bickering. She's had a stroke, and her stroke has rendered her the way she is. She, she was a teacher before she had the stroke, and the stroke has rendered her the way she is. I never knew her before she had the stroke. But uh, I overhear them, and he says, well, I'm leaving. And she said, I so wish that I could climb into the tub and take a hot bath and just get in bed with you. And he says, I know, but it will never be that way again. And she said, I know it won't, but it doesn't stop me from wanting it to be that way again. And he said goodbye, and he left. That's a test, isn't it? It, it's It's a test. And, and the test is multiplied because just earlier I was sitting in there as, as she was eating dinner and another woman named Bonnie I know was eating dinner and then I met Virginia who's 96 and she was eating dinner and I'm just in there hanging out trying to help Virginia actually when Bonnie looks over at me she's known me for a long time and she says well I think you're growing a beard I said oh Bonnie I'm not I'll trim it in the morning it never gets longer than this and this man is sitting in there, and his wife spoke up, and he's got a big beard. And he spoke, she spoke up, and she said, well, he, he tried to grow a beard to cover up ugly, but it didn't work. <laughs> no lie. I'm like, did the stroke do this, or did you always do this? Like, that's good material, but it's not nice, you know. Um, life offers us those tests, and the reason that Abraham can look at that mountain and say, I and the boy is because he's had a few quizzes that are leading up to his final exam. Two chapters later, Abraham dies. Why could he say that? How could he trust God over his circumstances? Look at uh, verse uh, 15, 5 through 6, you'll see it on the screen. Uh, God showed up <clears throat> earlier to Abraham. He brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. God had told Abraham, you're going to have a lot of kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And Abraham knows the only way that that can happen is Isaac. Something's got to happen. Well, thank God for commentary in the New Testament. Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews, God told him what happened. Look at it. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. 
of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Listen to this. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham thought when he looked at those two servants and said, I and the boy will come back, in Abraham's mind, if God required him to take Isaac's life, the same God who required him to do that would raise Isaac from the dead. That's trusting God over your circumstances. Amen? That's saying, I trust in a God who I do not understand. That's saying, though I cannot trace his hand, I can trust his heart. That's saying, there is a God who may ask of me things I could never imagine having to do. But as long as he is God, I'm in. That's unbelievable faith. And I've watched more than one of you walk that road of faith. I have watched you walk through cancer. I've watched you walk through the loss of a child. I have watched you walk through the loss of a spouse. I have watched you as mentally or emotionally your life unraveled right before you. And your faith was undaunted. How do you do that? You only do that when you believe there is a God who is greater than your circumstances. Amen, church? That's the only way you do that. There is a God who is above your circumstances, whatever they may be. How does Abraham respond? Abraham cranks up the bus and throws God under it. He does look at this. Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. What happens? Isaac has no clue what's going on. Abraham and Isaac leave, and it's just the two of them, and he puts the wood on Isaac's back. Abraham carries the implements for starting the fire. Teenager looks up at Daddy and says, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Can you imagine how many times over the last three days it rolled through Abraham's mind of how he was going to tell his boy? How he was going to answer that very question when he came to that place. How? And he looks at him and he says, let me kick the ball back into God's court. God will provide for himself the lamb. Do you know what Abraham was saying? It's not my problem. I didn't order this. I can't take care of it. God, this is yours. It, you're going to have to provide, son, son. God will provide for himself, the lamb, for the offering. They, they get up to the mountain. Abraham can't know the foreshadowing that's taking place. That there would be a few thousand years later another boy that would have the wood of the sacrifice on his back and that he would climb a mountain and that as he would climb the mountain 
that he would look to his dad. Abraham couldn't have known the picture of Christ that is already emerging in chapter 22, first book of the Old Testament. He gets up there and he takes his boy. And they, they together build the, get the wood in place and Abraham takes his son and he binds him. Oh, and he lays him down and he grabs that large knife and he pulls it back. And when he does, wow. Abraham, Abraham. Who's talking? You can't miss this. The angel of the Lord. You say, well, Jerry, an angel's an angel, not this one. In the Old Testament, when you see the definite article before angel of the Lord, scholars agree it is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ himself. He is the angel of the Lord. It is Jesus who screams from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, why in the world would Jesus do that? Isaac is not near good enough a sacrifice. Abraham, Isaac isn't perfect. Isaac can never be the sacrifice. No, there's there's no way, Abraham. Uh, And you've proven it by offering him, by deciding to offer him that you fear the Lord. You you fear the Lord more than you love your son. And so, so, so Jesus himself could, you imagine the emotion going through Jesus as he says that because the very reality of pulling the knife from Abraham's hand is that all Ultimately, that Jesus will die by his own declaration that Isaac can't die the death that he is about to die because only Christ is worthy. Only Christ is worthy of worship. Only Christ is worthy to be the lamb who will take away the sins of the world. Amen? Not Isaac. And what this means is that you cannot worship your children if you do they will ultimately fail you. They will disappoint you. Your career, your your job, your reputation, whatever you put in there, God will provide for himself. He did much later through Christ. And the angel of the Lord says, now I know that you fear God. Tim Keller says, uh, this could be paraphrased now, I know that you love me more than anything in the world. There you go. Now I know that you love me more than anything in the world, Abraham. Keller opens his book, Counterfeit Gods. I know this is like Tim Keller day. I've quoted him all day long. But he announced his retirement from Redeemer Press this week, and I've been in mourning. So here's what he says. Most people spend their lives trying to make their heart's fondest dreams come true. Isn't that what life is all about, the pursuit of happiness? We search endlessly for ways to acquire the things we desire, and we are willing to sacrifice much to achieve them. We never imagine that getting our heart's deepest desires might be the worst thing that could ever happen to us. My wife and I once knew a single woman, Anna, who wanted desperately to have children. She eventually married, and contrary to the expectations of her doctors, was able to bear two healthy children 
despite her age. But her dreams did not come true. Her overpowering drive to give her children a perfect life made it impossible for her to actually enjoy them. Her overprotectiveness, fears, and anxieties, and her need to control every detail of her children's lives made the family miserable. Anna's Anna's oldest child did poorly in school and showed signs of serious emotional problems. The younger child was filled with anger. There's a good chance her drive to give her children wonderful lives will actually be the thing that ruins them. Getting her heart's deepest desire may end up being the worst thing that ever happened to her. The angel of the Lord isn't finished. He's stayed uh, Abraham's hand. There's a ram caught in the thicket. Isaac must be, his heart must be beating out of his chest. They sacrifice the the ram. Uh, Abraham calls the place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. And And Jesus needs to say one more thing. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Here the angel of the Lord is equal in himself with the Lord. Don't miss that. Because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In other words, you've totally trusted. How would this ultimately come to pass? How did God ultimately accomplish this? Verse 8, exactly what Abraham had said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Now in the immediate, thankfully that was the ram in the future. That was Christ. Say, how do you know Jesus had a cousin. His name was John, called John the Baptist. He preceded Jesus, called the forerunner of Jesus. He preached right before Jesus did, ultimately died before Jesus even really was in uh, heavy into his ministry. But John the Baptist saw Jesus come in one day. And what did he say about him? Behold the who, church? Say that again. Behold the who? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So I want to speak to two groups for a moment. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, the only way that you will make it into heaven is total trust. There is no other way. You will totally trust Christ to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of, and you'll have to put your name in that. You will not get there by tithing, you will not get there because you're in a nice family. You will not ride your parents' or your grandparents' coattails. 
you will get there only because you personally trusted Christ. Number two, if you have parented for any period of time, you will find yourself taking your kids and symbolically putting them in your hands and saying, God, here they are. I have my dreams for them. I have my goals for them. I have my aspirations for them. But in the final analysis, God, you've loaned them to me. Here they are. I look back to my left this morning and I see Layla Siegel. Jerry. Sent me an email a few weeks ago and uh, I had the privilege of being their daughter's youth pastor. Layla, just this week, she's a retired school teacher. Just this week, had a confirmed diagnosis of ALS. That's hard. That's a test, isn't it? In her first email a few weeks ago, when she got the original diagnosis and we prayed that, that perhaps the doctors would be wrong, Here's what she said about her two grown daughters. And they were good girls, but they weren't perfect at all, were they? One of them is married to Josh Hayes, who used to be our children's pastor, and the other is married and lives in Boone. She also is a school teacher. But Layla said to me in her email, my daughter's are a source of great encouragement to me. They continually lift me up in this time, both in prayer and in God's Word. And I find from them great comfort. That's how we want it to be, isn't it? I read that and saddened by the diagnosis, but heartened by godly kids. On Wednesday night, we ended our time together by singing an old hymn, and we're going to do that today. And uh, James will be here. If you've never trusted Christ, he's here to talk with you, or if you need to maybe, as some folks did, kind of bring your family and just say, here they are, uh, then we'd love to pray with you.